Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey listeners, remember how occasionally on the show I've mentioned that my mum used to be a cop as well? And that mum and dad actually met on the force? And how heaps of you have gotten in touch with us here at Loose Units and said, can we please, please get mum on the show? And we've said it's just not going to happen. Well, guess what? The next two episodes of Loose Units are half-hour specials where my mum and I have sat down and we delve extremely deep in a very intimate and very honest look at what it was like to be one of the pioneering female police officers, one of the first pioneering cops in the New South Wales Police Force back in the 80s. Mum is telling her story for the very first time. Next week is part one, the week after that is part two. You are getting two full-length episodes of My Ex-Cop Mum. And let me tell you something, Dad's a little nervous that she's going to outshine him, and having heard the episodes, I think he might be right. So, next week on Loose Units, my mum, my ex-cop mum, spilling her guts for the first and last time. Also, don't forget, we've still got a couple of tickets left for the Adelaide show on the 30th of this month, and on the 27th, we are doing Bendigo. So, head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units and snap those tickets up quick smart before they sell out. Enjoy the show. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that Dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven, and sitting across from me is my ex-cop dad, John Verhoeven. Now, last episode, um, we talked about Central Station. Mm. Now, I it's funny that during the book writing and during this, we've done so much Loose Units. This show has been really pouring the content in, and we've... We never really mentioned Central up until this point. And at the end of last episode, you described what sounded like an Orwellian gulag sitting in the middle of Sydney. That was phenomenal. Yeah, it, now, it, it, was, it was the caves. They were, they were tunnels that mean? were built by 
the convicts. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay, so I just thought we could start this episode with a bit of a setup. Could you describe what it was like at Central Station? Because it doesn't exist anymore, right? Correct. Yep. Um, well, you know, you Paul, the opening to the book, yep. that amazing, that I just love the way you wrote how I was driving down George Street. Oh, thank you. In my Holden, and it was the fuzzy dice and those yep. shit bags that I that threw a can and you pinged drew. and you had puberty blues. Yep. playing at the cinema. Yep. George Street was a different different place back then. And opposite Hoyt Cinemas uh, in George Street, which is a major street in Sydney, um, I guess it's like Collins Street here yeah. in Melbourne. And I guess, of course, every uh, capital city's got their main boulevard. But not like this. Like, George Street is... Sydney is way bigger than people who haven't been there think. Mm. It's very big. Yeah, and George Street's on a hill. So you kind of come up from Circular Quay, the harbour, then you sort of get up to the Queen Victoria building, it levels out for a bit, then it goes down towards Chinatown. Mm. And halfway down, opposite the Hoyt Cinemas on the left, was this alleyway. It was just an alley. And you halfway down was the entrance to this weird police station. And it was Central Police Station. And But in amongst all that, in the catacombs, they had the Central Cells, now, these cells, I only saw them once. It was a restricted area. Like Darlinghurst, I never ever saw the inside of Darlinghurst Police Station. Really? Ever. You were not allowed to go there unless you were stationed there. And there was a guy in my class at the academy that actually volunteered to go to Darlinghurst. An amazing guy who ended up super deep cover. Like right. He was, he was a major undercover police officer. He loved it. He was amazing. Anyway, I only ever went there once, and it was to take a prisoner. Now, what happened was, we used to have prison strikes in Sydney. What do you mean? Where Long Bay, Parramatta, all the big jails, they just the prison warders would go on strike, and they wouldn't take any more prisoners. Now, what do you think happens with all the murderers and the rapists and the arsonists and the pedophiles and the all the bad people? I'm guessing they get held. They uh, get held somewhere. Yeah. And they get held, or used to get held at central cells. Now, I remember, I, I just, it was so surreal. It was visually appalling, yet kind of creepy, but kind of sort of, oh, fuck, all the emotions that coursed through my blood when I went down, down, down into the bowels of this amazing convict belt. It was it was underground. It was just hand-hewn into sandstone rock. Yeah. Um, were these cells that could hold... I mean, from memory, some of these cells could hold at least 50 people, all men. So this is the scene that I saw, and I've only ever seen it once. It was a prison strike, mm. and all the really, really bad, bad prisoners throughout New South Wales were all being held in the cells. There were hundreds of prisoners. They were all topless. They all just had white towels around their waists. It was like a sauna. It was incredibly hot. The problem was back in those days, you would go to um, jail yeah. for unpaid parking fines. Oh, shit. So there's people who have done barely anything Nothing. in with murderers. Correct. And there's a very, very famous case. I'm sure I've touched on it, but I'll tell you again. Okay. And I even remember the guy's name. His name was Jamie Partlick. How weird that I remember. He was in prison for unpaid parking fines and he was bashed and he sustained serious and permanent brain damage. They changed the legislation 
in Sydney, in New South Wales, so that people would no longer go to jail for unpaid parking fines. Right. Imagine if you're in, you haven't paid your fines. They issue what's called a, a commitment warrant to you know money or the body. You yep. don't have any money. They arrest you. Imagine if it was that fateful night that they took you down into the bowels of Central with these people that are in there. And and by the way, these prison strikes sometimes went for over a week. Right. So the, there's nowhere else to put the prisoners, but the prisoners keep coming because police actually keep arresting. Mm. So they just keep putting more and more and more. If I had to sort of describe to you what I saw, it reminded me of a scene out of um, uh, the Russell Crowe film, um, Gladiator. It was oh, exactly we, like that. Like they're about to head up to the fighting Correct. pit. Correct. Right. They're, they're all downstairs yeah. and they're all, you know, you know, there are some guys pissing themselves because they're so nervous. And I just felt to myself, I just looked at these guys and thought, there's something really, really wrong with this whole thing. But that's that was the reality. And I, I don't know whether many people really, really know that. Did you see the rest of Central Station? No. Right. So you only ever saw like the catacombs. Yeah. Right. How big was Central Station? Well, you could never really tell because it was all... Underground? Yeah. yeah, underground. and It was just, look, it's gone. So does that mean there are tunnels? Yeah, well, I, I believe, and, and if anyone can disprove or prove, but I believe yeah. that they had and probably still have tunnels that go from Central Police Station to the courts. And those courts are a long way away. Oh, and they wow. could take them underground. Oh, my God. So that's really interesting. And how old are these tunnels, do you think? I'd say they're probably from the, the 1850s. Holy shit. Yeah. It's amazing what's underneath cities, isn't it? It's incredible. Um, well, look, Dad, you mentioned that you had a really big, big case to talk about. Um, we've been holding off on doing this case until this point, uh, until the season finale. Um, uh, and we've held off on doing this case until now. Um, so, would you like to? Yeah. Would you like to drop in? Mm. Um, Where do you want to start? Okay. Well, I was in um, forensics. Yep. And what happened was. There were some council workers mm-hmm. north of Sydney in summer, and they're driving along the old Pacific Highway. So you've got two ways to get out of Sydney up north. You've got the freeways, but yep. then there's the old Pacific Highway. And the old Pacific Highway, motorcyclists really like it because it's you know undulating, got great curves, corners, and it's an exciting ride. Yep. And these guys, so we're talking, um, again, mid-80s. How long ago is that? Is that thirty five years ago? Well, I'm thirty. I'm thirty six, and I was born in eighty three. So, wow. So yeah. thirty five years ago, mm. and occasionally, uh, what what these road workers used to do, and I don't know whether they still do it, but they used to make a billy, like make a little fire, right, on the side of the road, and they'd brew up um, uh, like hot water, mm. and they'd make themselves a billy tea, and um, they're sitting there, three or four of them, yep, and they're leaning against these white posts with the little markers on them those barrier posts like bollards or whatever bollards and they're just sort of hanging out and so it's in the morning it's really really hot it's the middle of summer february yep and they thought that they could smell something and they could smell something what it was was a deceased person right um they looked down this fairly steep precipice it was a probably about 50 degrees dangerous Mm -hmm. and they could see what appeared to be a person uh that had obviously fallen down this cliff and their fall was stopped as they were rolling by a tree so they call the general duties police 
they in turn get it get the detectives. Yeah. And then, but remember that this is a crime scene, potentially. Yeah. So these guys and cars and people pulling up up the top in the dirt are really, really beginning to destroy some really, really crucial evidence. And you said in a previous episode that um, bodies, <laughs> bodies start to go off in the heat. It's very hot at this point, so presumably you already know that this is going to be a more difficult job anyway without you know um, people disturbing the mm, scene. It was a very, very, very um, full-on scene. Okay. So we get called up and we rock up in our uh, station wagon and because I'm the junior man in forensics uh, and the police rescuer there, they tied a rope around my waist. Oh, shit. And I, uh, I had this big, um, really big camera. Right. Uh, like a medium format, massive camera. Mm. Not like a digital camera, like an actual old school with film. Yeah. And the high, uh, the sorry, the police rescue guys, they gave me a, a, a bit of a uh, crash course in, uh, you know, minor mountaineering. Now, 50 degree angle, how far down was the body? Uh, maybe 15 metres. 15 metres? Yeah. Do they... Okay. Do they have the full rock climbing gear with like a, or are they just literally knotting a rope around your waist? No, they did it. Look, I didn't, I didn't pay a lot of attention to that. Obviously, they they know what they're doing. You're kind of distracted by the yeah okay, and obviously mm. at this point, you know, um, we've established that bit of a thrill seeker. Mm. Were you? But it was pretty full on because I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, it's not every day you get to do that. Plus, have this huge camera. Yeah. And I'm walking out at an angle which I want to fall forward. But the rope stops me, so I'm sort of walking down. It's pretty, pretty precarious. You're walking face down. You're face not, down. You're not backing or down. No, I'm walking, walking toward the body. Yeah. Because I was then um, observing lots of stuff. You know, like broken tw- twigs. Um, wanted to figure out, you know, whether there was anything else prior to the body that had been left there or, or whatever. Are you not technically? I know it's a. I know it's a like a slope. Are you not technically trampling on evidence because you're walking potentially the, the but, way the body fell? Yeah, but you've heard of destructive archaeology. Yeah, yeah. where they go down, 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 and as they're going down, they're destroying. Sure. So that's the, the that's. I mean, you've got to get there. Could you describe what the body looked like? Yeah, I can. It was. Um, I, I began to realise that it was um, a female, uh-huh. and she was wearing a black leather jacket mm-hmm. with the most amazing uh really heavy duty buttons like really solid steel buttons that have been stitched into the leather right you could actually probably have picked her up by but, one of the buttons right. and tied her to a hook and dragged her out by helicopter just by one button right and she was wearing a dress and she was wearing stockings and she had long hair done up in a bun and uh, so I took all the photographs and then I turned her over slightly and I could see that she was partially mummified. So she'd been there for some time. But also there were parts of her body that had obviously been um, nibbled at by rodents. Oh, shit. So rats and uh, maybe, I'm not sure what other animals. Uh, but she was, uh, she was fairly well mummified. Um, and, 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 and pretty creepy looking, to be honest with you. How if, old? Could you tell how old she was? I mean, how, how oh, bad? She would have been in her mid mid to late 20s. And uh, so they eventually got the body up to the road. 
And by then there were a couple of detectives there and there were a couple of detectives that were, I knew they weren't local detectives. I knew they were, I didn't quite know where they were from, but they, you could, you just knew they weren't local D's. They'd come in from the city, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Now I'm the junior man. It's not my job to, you know, I, I'm keeping a pretty low profile. And then I decided uh, with my colleague, we both decided, and I'm the junior guy, so he's sort of telling me to start looking around the top for any circumstantial evidence. Right. And they put her in the back of this, uh, the contractor's vehicle, which is a white panel van. Yes. And I'm looking around, and I'd seen her jacket with the buttons. Yeah. And I saw a button uh, on the near the road. And I reached down to get the button. Mm-hmm. And one of these detectives, I'm sort of looking at the button. So I take a photograph and then I go to reach down. And as I reach down and touch the button, he crushed my hand with his foot. He just basically crushed it into the, into the, um, the soil. Mm. And I sort of looked up and... I knew exactly what that meant. That meant don't touch that fucking button. Because that button proved to me that there'd been an almighty struggle Mm. and she'd actually been thrown over this cliff. So I didn't know anything about her at that stage. Is it not possible that um, the body was transported and carried there and the button fell off? Yep. But whatever happened... Right. She didn't land up on the other side of a fence... 15 metres down a cliff. By herself. By herself. Yep. Okay. Someone or some one or some people mm. have... I mean, it's no mean feat, is it, to, to throw a body? In fact, I think it's fair to assume there are at least two people. Right. Because you'd probably have to swing it. And it'd have to be at night time, I imagine. Mm. We... You recall when... I was involved in the identification of the two brothers in the Lamborghini. Yes. So we went back to the same morgue yep. at Hornsby. The little one. The little morgue. And yeah. she was uh, on the slab uh, in, in fully clothed. And um, it was our job to photograph the entire procedure where it's a bit weird. It's actually quite weird when I look back at why we didn't do it at... Um, at Glebe, at the Division of Forensic Medicine. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's actually quite... Now I'm starting to think, in light of what I know and what I feel, is that perhaps it was done at Hornsby for a reason. Okay. Um, and I'll let the le- the readers, the, the listeners, you know, come to their own conclusions. Um, now, we had these special scissors that we used to cut clothing. Mm. Uh, really, uh, they're unusual scissors, really powerful. And uh, I remember we were cutting off her jacket... And for some reason or other, I just thought, I'm looking at the inside sleeves and there was a slit in the lining and I rolled the sleeve inside out and I reached inside. I could see that this slit was there for a reason and then I pulled out, this is pretty sad, Paul, I pulled out these um, $1 bills that have been folded perfectly. How fucked's that? That she'd put there? Yeah. That's where she hid her money. So what are you starting to think now? I'm thinking she's a prostitute. Really? Yeah. You think folded bills means... Yeah, hiding money. 
from your pimp. Right. That's what they do. Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Because, you know, you give your, your money to a guy that's, you know, managing you on the street. And that was her way of putting a few little sad little dollars. And they were beautifully folded. They were folded into perfect squares. So I, that, that touched me. I thought that's... Well, it's also a very human thing to do. You know, like seeing just little foibles, little bits of human behavior that mm. humanize the body. Yeah. Your whole job, I guess, is to try and dehumanize it so you can cope with the job mm. and you're encountering evidence which actually just makes the person seem more real, mm. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Now, we had this um, plastic on the floor. Uh, so, we, we, we rolled out this massive sheet. Now, I wasn't quite sure why we'd done that. Right. Maybe the mor- morgue attendant had done it. And the um, the pathologist, we'd taken all her clothing. She had fishnet stockings, which I remember. Oh, God, it's coming back to me really badly. I remember she... How weird is this? I have not actually even thought about this for so long, but I can remember now she had red toenail polish, and I could see it kind of coming through the fishnet stockings that had holes in them. But she was kind of mummified, so it was a bit creepy. And, um, you know, we had to take all her clothing off. Yeah. And um, I remember looking at her her body and it was sweating. Remember how I told you about the sweating? Weeping, you said. The weeping. Yeah. And it, it was weeping. And um, Should that be happening with a body that's been mummified? Semi-mummified. Okay. And um, then um, the, uh, the pathologist, he got a scalpel. And you know how they do the postmortem? They cut you from just around your Adam's apple. Is it not? A, is the Y incision a thing, or just no? A that, I've never seen that Y thing. Okay, ever not in Australia. Right. They cut you down, 
But as he was cutting through her stomach, he cut into her sort of the inner, like her, all the internal, but there was a cavity beneath her navel. And all of a sudden, just sort of on cue, uh, thousands of, um, of maggots started climbing out of her body. And there were so many of them. They were like oozing out. Oh, like Jesus. It was like uh, the hot springs in... Um, have you ever seen hot springs where the mud comes up? Yes. Yeah, and it looked like that. And they were just oozing out. Like, like It was like someone... They were just, it was weird. And they were then rolling down all both sides of her body. And they were rolling down onto the floor where all the... Plastic um, was. The plastic was. And everyone was kind of... The smell was so bad. And then one of the guys had taught me that trick about getting, you know, uh, Vicks Vapor Rub or mm. some some sort of menthol thing and you stick it on your nose. Mm. But that just burnt my nose. Right. So then you had a combination of... Um, it reminds me of that joke. Shall I tell the joke about the guy that he was going on a date? No. Yeah, uh, you don't want me to tell a joke? No, it's fine. All right. Well, if anyone would like... Please write in because it's a bloody good joke. It's about disguising one smell for another. Right. And um, it was bad. And I remember walking around and I was crushing all these maggots underneath my feet. On purpose? No. They were just... Th- they didn't have someone sweeping maggots while we were walking around. They were just there. They were everywhere. They were, they were literally thousands and thousands of maggots pouring out of it and dropping on the floor and then trying to crawl away. And we were there. We were, they were amongst us on the floor. It was fucked up. But anyway, we had to, to establish, and that's when they discovered that that tiny little thing in her throat, the tiny little bone, had been broken. That's one of the indicators of strangulation. Right. And uh, yeah, so um, she'd been murdered. You mentioned a few episodes ago that um, when you get strangled, blood vessels. Mm, I, I didn't know about that. Back then, okay, but but they they established that that small bone in the throat had yeah, actually broken. Yeah, it's a tiny little bone that, on the balance of probabilities, is broken. Right. So then I began to wonder about her life, and it turns out that she had been a prostitute in King's Cross. Right. And um, yeah, I, in my heart, believe that you know something bad had gone down with her. And I always thought about that detective that crushed my hand to say to me, leave that there. That was a weird thing to do. You don't think he was just, um, you know, just marking his territory? Or do you think he actually knew something? Oh, God, no. No, he'd come up. They'd come from another place. Right. These Ds. Right. To oversee the, you know, the, the... they knew a lot more than they let on. But I, keep, I just felt that, you know, this was the time for me to really look look honestly at the whole, what I was doing. And I just had this bad vibe. What do you mean? Well, I just thought that, you know, something bad had happened to this particular woman and the perhaps, vet, perhaps the police knew about it. Right. And didn't want, you know, mm. And then I bumped into um, an undercover police officer many, many years later in uh, in the city. Right. And the first time I bumped into him, he was working deep cover. And he gave me the death stare as he was walking toward me. He was with two other guys, heavy guys. And he gave me that look as though, please don't, please don't acknowledge you know me. Right. Otherwise, he's fucked. Yeah. 
like he'd end up. He used to strap a sharpened hacksaw blade to his spine with with tape to help with posture, or no, that was his weapon. Right. And he was once arrested and taken into Darlinghurst Police Station and bashed by his colleagues that didn't know he was un- an undercover police officer, and he couldn't say anything. That's heavy, isn't it? So, and he said to me years later, I was chatting with him, and I mentioned this particular case, and he just, he just basically rolled his eyes back, and that was never discussed. So that you know, which, that's, ca- that's which case about the prostitute? I mentioned it to him. What I thought, because he worked in that area, Darlinghurst, and he basically, in in no uncertain terms, in, indicated to me uh, through my interpretation that you know there was more to the story. Okay. And I'd already left the police force. And that was one of the things that made you want to leave? Yeah. Yeah, I was sick of it. Sick of the, you know, it was scary, the corruption. And I know other stories. I've got heaps of stories but that, that will never be told. You ever, did you ever think about um, blowing the whistle? Never. Why not? Ever. Why not? Not a chance. Not a chance. Fuck that for a joke. Well, you had a young family at that point, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Christ. Pretty full on. Yeah. Did I ever talk about the car park in the Remington building? Down where we kept our fingerprint cars when we used to leave every Monday morning. And no. They had all the undercover police cars down there. No. Do you want to just do a little thing on that? Yeah, tell, tell it now. Cool. Well, um, <clears throat> you know how, Paul, I said that every Monday we used to head out for a week... Um, oh yes, yes, yes. I was you know, confused by that. Yeah, yeah. In, in fingerprints. So yeah. you'd, you know, I'd, you'd be given allocated a geographical area. Um, oh yeah, and you said yours was between where and where? Oh no, it varied. Sometimes it was eastern suburbs. Oh, sometimes it was central coast. Sure, okay. Central coast. Yeah, like Gosford, Wyong, all around. Then, and, and when I was in fingerprints back then, I would go to up to twenty-five break and enters per day. Right. I mean. And there was heaps of overtime, and you just basically worked until until it was dark, and then you'd make your way back home. You never went back to the office. That's so strange. But every single Monday morning. So we worked in the Remington building. Yep. So Homicide Armed, Hold Up Consorting, um, all the big squads, yep. they were all in the Remington building, which is opposite the Cenotaph in Sydney. Mm. And it was maximum security. But our cars, our, our fully kitted out um, station wagons, yep were um, parked down on what was called B5. So it was a normal car park, police, and everyone sort of, you know, had access, but very few people had access to B5. We had access because our cars were down there because we had a lot of serious gear on board, a lot Mm -hmm. of cameras, a lot of really, really expensive stuff. But we used to have this like a blue paddle pop stick and that would get you down into the lift and no one could get down there except people that had this special pass. And you'd swipe it. And swiping technology in the early to mid-80s is pretty... That was cutting edge. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, really good. So we'd go down. And then the first time I ever went down onto B5... And I can talk about it now because, hey, it doesn't exist now. But obviously, what I'm about to tell does exist somewhere in mm. Sydney. Mm. Um, but I'll never, ever forget. I saw this incredible 1965 green Holden... With, get ready for it, actual fuzzy dice 
and huge mag wheels. And then next to that was an Aston Martin. And then next to that was a Rolls-Royce. And next to that was a Triumph Stag. And next to that was like a VW. And there was an array of the most extraordinary cars. And they were all undercover cars. And fuck, it was great. I just thought to myself, there's me in my little dust jacket heading off to, you know, whatever. Thinking to myself, can you imagine what it must be like for these guys? And then I began to realise through making some sort of inquiries some of these people that worked deep cover so they're not they're not undercover like undercover cops that's yeah that's cool they're, these are we used to call them the dogs and you never knew obviously who they were but some of these guys would go undercover for up to 2 years and they had separate bank accounts they were answerable only to one person no one else in the team knew who they were i mean it's really really it's actually scary yeah and what can happen to these people is that they become um you know, they sort of go to the dark side. But then you've got to say to yourself, well, actually, is it the dark side? Are they not leaving the dark side to go to whatever? Because you begin to... That's the thing with hostage takers. There are hostages, very famous cases. Is it... What's that famous syndrome? Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, where you begin to... Think about Stockholm non-stop. Rightfully or wrongly, you begin to see the other party's point of view yeah and that is fair call in that you know what look it's empathy you you uh, you know and then then what they do is they then dress you up as one of them yeah on the plane and they send you out and you get shot because the police sharpshooter thinks you were one of the baddies so that doesn't happen anymore yeah because they know that that's one of the things that that the uh, the hostage takers do right you're saying, I mean, given all they go through and all the syndromes they accrue, uh, the least we can do is give them a car, a cool car. <laughs> which, yeah. which is but nice. it was fascinating. Yeah. I, I found it as a young... Because, uh, you know, you obviously you had a Rolls-Royce or a Triumph Stag or some amazing Lamborghini <clears throat> to, to, to infiltrate that, that scene. Yeah. And then the fuzzy dice, the Holden with the mag wheels, and it had a, what was called a blower, like a big uh, supercharger. Like in Mad Max, the oh, yeah. first Mad Max, yeah. sticking out of the bonnet. Yeah, the interstate. I mean, incredible, mm. just magnificent. No expense spared, and really all, all interstate registered cars or whatever it had to be for the for the task. And interesting. So I found that pretty fascinating. That's mental. I think you would have made a good spy. Thank you. Yeah, I think he maybe still would, or maybe still are. If you think Dad's actually a spy and he's breaking his cover by doing this show, please. Let us know on the Facebook group. Uh, we are almost at the very end of uh, Season 2 of Loose Units, but we have some very special stuff planned, so make sure you keep your eyes wide open. Also, if you haven't already got the book, good Lord, what are you doing? It's meant to be very good. Also, if you want to get it kind of cheap, um, you can grab it on Booktopia, which is online. Christmas is approaching, and it's a rollicking good time. Dad, would you describe it as rollicking? Definitely. What does rollicking mean? I don't know, but it sounds like a thing that I should be saying about the book. Mm. So... Um, Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. If you haven't already told people about the show, uh, do it. It's a really great way of getting the show out there. Head to iTunes, leave us a rating and review, and uh, we've got some really exciting Loose Unit stuff planned. If you haven't already heard about it, just um, you know, head to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Loose Units, and we'll see you real soon. Bye. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. 
They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.